So we've had a busy week, right? Okay. Summer is in full swing, and this morning we are not going to take a beat, but we're going to dive right back into 1 Peter, uh, beginning, beginning in chapter 5, which is the final chapter of the book. The longer that I have personally spent on this text and meditated on it, uh, the more that the Holy Spirit has just weighed upon me its, its importance. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, join me in 1 Peter chapter 5. The verses will also be behind me, starting in verse 1, going to verse 5. We'll read, and then we'll follow it with prayer. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to celebrate the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. Father, may we be here this morning awaiting your return for us, for we are almost home. God, we pray now that your word would not return void. God, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes and allow us to see what truths are here, that we might live a greater holiness unto this world, that we would be a light to the gospel, and that we would await your return. Joyful longing. For you are our King, you are our Savior, Lord. We love you, we praise you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Now, before we go any further, you might have noticed that Peter mentions the word elder, right? Uh, Tristan mentioned the word elder during his offering talk, that he is a, an elder here at Mosaic Church. So if you don't know what that means, don't, don't worry. We're going we're gonna to define it real quick uh, according to the New Testament, right? This is my best shot at a short and concise definition here. Uh, elders are qualified and appointed men who hold the office of spiritual leadership and authority within the local expression of Jesus's church. That's, that's a long one, but that's kind of the concise, concise definition there. Some, some other terms for this office in the New Testament are, are overseer, which you'll see quite often, pastor, which is more of a cultural term that we've come with, which is actually derived from a word meaning literally shepherd, and probably the most common that we use, and then even bishop, right, which we don't really see much in our congregation today. That umbrella of terms are all synonymous and interchangeable when it comes to this office of eldership. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9, gives us the clearest picture of what the qualifications for an elder are. For the sake of time this morning, let's just look at the book of Titus to go over that. Titus 1, 1, Titus 1 5 through 9 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's stewards must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Paul says here that the job of an elder while meeting these qualifications are to rightly handle the word of God as to give sound instruction and teachings and also to correct those who would contradict it. This is just one example of the office of elder holding both spiritual leadership within the church and spiritual authority, okay? There are under shepherds, under the great shepherd that is Christ. Moses led God's people in the Old Testament. King David led God's people in the Old Testament. And after all of this time, you can go through and just see all of the people that the Lord has raised up for this job. After the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the apostles went out. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we read, And when they, that is the apostles, had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And this also affirms the text that we just read in Titus, verse 5, that says, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I use a lot of texts, okay? So just stay with me. We're there, right? Elders are being appointed. God has always used men in his church and in his people to lead them. So the apostles went out and planted churches. And as the apostles went out further to continue gospel ministry, they appointed elders to oversee the churches that they had planted. We see again the leadership and authority of this position in Acts chapter 15. When the issue of circumcision, whether it is a source of righteousness came up, the apostles and the elders gathered together to discuss the matter. The text alludes to that after they had discussed it, it was brought to the congregation as a whole. Now, the reason that I put in this definition the word appointed is because nowhere in the New Testament do we see that anybody just wakes up and calls themselves an elder. Paul charged Titus with appointing elders. The apostles appointed Elders. So we hold here at Mosaic Church that, that a man who is shown to have the qualifications of an elder be brought forth to us, that is the congregation, for voting and appointing. Based upon the qualifications we just read, if, if we vote in the affirmative, that man now becomes an elder of this church. He becomes a pastor. Elders are qualified men charged with the overseeing of Jesus' church until his inevitable return. In no way does this mean that they are perfect. In no way does this mean that they are some kind of idol to the congregation, nor does that mean that their words stand above that of the word of God. We'll get more into that in 1 Peter. So that's just a short summary, a quick foundation that I hope is clear on, on who an elder is and, and what they do. So now let's move into breaking down what Peter has to say for us this morning. Let's reread verse 1 again in chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter begins this chapter with the word, so. 
Anytime in scripture that you see the word so or therefore, which in the Greek, those two words are actually the same in this context, to, to stop and take a look back at what the author had been previously discussing. Last week, Pastor Tad labored and talked about the sufferings of Christians, the suffering of the people of God wrongfully, and how our response is not to, to fight, but to prayerfully endure for our sanctification inwardly and to the witness for Christ outwardly to the world. So because of the sufferings to come, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, or I encourage the elders that are there. Peter connects this idea of suffering and encouraging them to remain faithful through it. So the first and most logical question that we can ask this morning is why? Why? What does the suffering and the persecution of Jesus' church have to do with the elders specifically? We should all be aware that persecution comes for all of Jesus' church. Right? This is not an elder thing, okay? But with that being said, elders or pastors, for that matter, are placed into a very unique position, both physically and spiritually, okay? Physically speaking or, or culturally, if a tyrannical government or an extremist wishes to shut down a Christian movement or a growing Christian ministry, wishes to stop the spread and the proclamation of the gospel, it only stands to logic and reason that it's the leaders who will be the most vocal that will be taken out first, the first imprisoned, first martyred. Generally speaking, of course, this isn't a rule of thumb. In Africa, Islamist extremists are not asking who are pastors. They're more worried about who you confess to be God. So once again, I'm not saying that members of the congregation are exempt from persecution. That's not what this means. But as the eyes of the world are on the church and on a specific congregation in this instance, it is generally the pastors whom they will look for and see first. Does that make sense? Right, we're on track. We're tracking with that. Great. Leaders of a church are not any more Christian than anyone else. They are just generally the first seen and the first heard, and therefore the first targets of opposition. Now, spiritually speaking, elders, teachers, pastors, right? We said that those are all synonymous, will be judged with greater strictness at the coming of Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in the third chapter of his epistle, James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James says that we all stumble and struggle with sin. If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you know that this is true. Right? They're, they, that is, the pastors are whom Jesus has left to lead his people. Much like the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, who is the master, has given responsibility to all of his people, some more and some less, as we see in the parable. And it is not hard to see why those whom he has given the responsibility of leading, teaching his word, and shepherding his flock would be charged with the greater talents, okay? This is why James says that not all should become teachers. Not to discourage anyone who might desire that role, but for a sober 
reality. Paul says that in 1 Timothy, that if you desire for that position, it is an honorable thing. But James is allowing for the great sober reality of God's judgment to weed out those who might not be up to the task. Peter is writing to these men in our, in our letter this morning and to all elders even today to encourage them as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a, and a partaker in the glory that is to come when he returns. And I think in our local context today, there are some extremely important aspects that we should know and learn from in this text. The first comes from understanding that here in Crestview, Florida, it's becoming popular that our town is called the Hub City. Have you heard that? It's got a football team, there's a barbershop. I mean, Hub City everywhere. It's transient. People come and go. And by the same nature, this makes mosaic transient. Whether it's the military or, or families traveling to be here from different surrounding towns or, or some jobs or, or otherwise, many, not all, but many of us will come to Mosaic and will not be here six to 10 years later. As such, it is our responsibility as the leaders here that everyone who should be called away to somewhere different by the Lord to know what they are looking for in a potential church and what to be looking for in their potential elders. Second, there are men here who aspire to the office of overseer. And this includes myself. Brothers, we should be striving to meet these qualifications that Paul lays out in striving to have a heart towards God's people as Peter directs. And third, probably the most obvious one, there are elders sitting in this very room. So brothers, I pray that you are encouraged as Peter would have you be. Two words describe how we're gonna accomplish this and how we're gonna break down the next couple verses. Seek and strive. Seek and strive. Based off what Peter says, we will pull out as a congregation the qualities that we should be seeking in our leaders. And what the elders here and the other church leaders, uh, what we should be striving for. Now, though Peter is specifically speaking to elders, uh, if you find yourself leading in any aspect here at Mosaic Church, you should strive for this as well. So let's look at verse two in 1 Peter again. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Congregation, the qualities that we should seek in our elder, two things, are, is a shepherd who serves and oversees by his own godly desire, not by external influence or demand, and a shepherd whose gain is found in the coming of Jesus, not rooted in sinful and flesh-driven desires. Church, we should absolutely keep in mind that pastors and ourselves as Christians are, are not perfect. We are not Christ. This is why James wrote that not all should become pastors because of the flesh, but it is, it is perfectly valid to pose the question to your future pastors, why? I like the question why. In case you couldn't tell, I like why. So a potential elder comes in or you are moving to a different church that you have to ask the pastor, you sit down with them, you wanna know more about the church. It is perfectly reasonable to ask why do you want to become a pastor or why did you become a pastor? Is it because that, that Jesus laid down his life for his church and by being radically transformed by the gospel, 
they seek to lay down their lives in return? Is it because the potential elder or that pastor at your potential church sees you and sees I as brothers and sisters in Christ and desires for us to know the word of God and to protect us from spiritual wolves and heresy that would place us in spiritual danger? For this is the call of a pastor and therefore a perfectly valid question to ask. And tough seasons will come for your pastors. Seasons of great discouragement. And the only hope that your pastor has And the only hope that you have to be led well through that is to have a man as a pastor who is stuck like glue to the rock of ages. That is Christ. It is also important to note note here that that Peter says shameful gain. That's a qualifying word. Not just gain, but shameful gain. There is gain to be had as a pastor. And Peter annotates that here in verse 4 of our text, the unfading crown of glory. Now, what this does not mean, that pastors are not to be paid. It's not what this means, okay? Or that by accepting a paycheck, they are now somehow there for shameful desire. Actually, commentators and scholars agree that we we see both kinds of pastors in the New Testament, both vocational, which means that they're full-time paid pastors. Ministry is their job like our lead pastor, Tad Anderson, and non-vocational or bivocational pastors, men who work a job outside of the ministry that they are entrusted to, like our pastors that you saw this morning, Jason Coe and Tristan McIntyre. To quote 1 Timothy 5, the laborer deserves his wages. Rather, if, you're, if your potential elder seeks a gain of status, a perceived life of excellence by taking the role they are there for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's just to be in a position of power, to be in a position to exert one's will upon those who would trust them. This is shameful, church. When we look at the ministries of the big-time pastors, televangelists, or or even apologists, whose messages are, are far from biblical, who sounds more like motivational speakers than they do an honest Sober-minded man of God who rightly handles the word. These are not pastors in the biblical sense. And I, I don't want to speculate and I don't pretend to know why or what the motivations behind these men are, whether they water down the gospel to such a diluted state that it is unrecognizable. Removing what is difficult about the message, the call to repent and turn from sin, to live a holy life so that more would be attracted to the following. Or whether it's for money. Or whether it's for something even more sinister than that. Okay, And I I don't say this this morning to to have that quick jab at the prosperity gospel. Okay, Or or the brand of Christianity that doesn't align with my theology. That's not why I say that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Church, do not follow the man that says what your itching ears desire to hear. 
Do not trust the preacher who preaches half-truths to make you feel good. And do not allow yourself to be turned from truth to myth because it's easy to swallow. What Peter says here, and so this is a long one. Stay with me. I'm going to go slow. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. This is all annotated in your notes. So if you want to go back and read these passages, please do. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the masters, the master, uh, singular, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sin, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought the flood, brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for the wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. There are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. They are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them 
never to have known the way of righteousness, and after knowing it, turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the, true po- what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. We need to be sober-minded, church. Discerning those whom we listen to outside of the Sunday congregation and who we entrust ourselves to inside. We need to be discerning who we listen to outside of these walls and whom we appoint to speak to us inside these walls. For there are those who would seek to lead you and I astray. Elders of the church, let me shift here and allow me to extend to all leaders this morning. We should strive to lead with the heart of self-denying love as Christ would have us. And always remember, the great shepherd is returning. These sets of points aren't as long, are they? They are not profound. Leaders, if we strive though, if we strive for these two things in particular, we will fulfill all of Peter's instructions and all of Paul's instructions. We cannot do both things. We cannot live for for shameful gain. We cannot live for the sin of the world while at the same time dying to ourselves. Because Christ loved the church, because Christ himself calls the church his bride and he paid for his bride by his own blood, he then calls you elders to be under shepherds, pastors, and to lead by example, awaiting his return with all of the joy and all of the longing that comes with a profound otherworldly sense of awareness that this is not our home. He is coming back to take me home, to take us home, our king, our heavenly, all-sufficient, merciful, holy Father. This is your motivation to continue forward in ministry. He's coming back. This is your motivation to lead the people of God to the word of God, even when it's difficult. Because Jesus is coming back. And when he returns, elders, there is promised for you the unfading crown of glory. Remember this so that you, re- you might remind us, those of us in your charge. Paul's words to the elders in Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he at- obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. It is good, church, that there are elders. But I am not subtly making a case for what we see in Roman Catholicism. That one man, the Pope, holds this seat of great power and is second only to Jesus or Mary 
or Mormonism or any other famous cult that has hit the newspapers or Google, for that matter, when one man becomes the center of everything, when one man's words are held to a higher regard than the word of God, it is deadly. It is deadly. This is another reason why Christians, congregation, why we need to be in the word ourselves, right? We need to be able to see what is not right. Elders and pastors are not professional Christians. We must allow ourselves to know right from wrong. And we must follow Jesus. And our pastor's words should drive us to do just that. One more point about eldership before we move on, and this is, this is in hopes that we might be as a congregation better equipped for the future, okay? The texts we have read today, all of them, that mention the word elders is always used in the plural. That you would appoint elders, as Paul said to Titus, and when they appointed elders for them in every church, as the book of Acts said, and as Peter says in our text, so I exhort the elders among you. We do not hold here at Mosaic, nor do we believe it to be biblical for there to be one sole leader of a church. Sometimes church plants do have just maybe three or four small families, and, and as they grow and get ready to launch, that one church planter becomes the pastor, okay? That's not uncommon, and I'm not saying that's, that's wrong, right? We need, to, we need to use discernment here, church. There's, not everything is black and white, okay? But after that church is planted, that pastor, that qualified man of an elder, whether he was a church at the sending church or a pastor at the sending church or, or becoming an elder in the one he is planting, he needs to be seeking faithful men to bring in alongside him in the ministry. But I would say, at best, if there is a church who has been standing for quite some time, with only one leader who attempts to hold it all together, there is much room to grow in for the care of the body of that church. And not only for the body of that church, but also for that pastor as well. And at the worst case scenario, let's talk about the two extremes. This dynamic is just an opportunity for sin and it lacks accountability for the pastor. We have three elders here at Mosaic Church, and, and all of them have what are called community groups, which if you're not aware, they're, they're small groups of families ranging from young adults to you know, mid-40s or 50s. I'm not going to say old. No, you're not going to catch me saying that, okay? That come together as a family to, to learn about the Word of God together, to pray for one another, to have fellowship and joy with one another. And each of our elders provide care and oversight for that group. All three of our elders have taught the word of God, both from the pulpit and more commonly from their kitchens and coffee shops. Though Pastor Tad is our lead pastor, though he is a great expounder of the word of God and a man whom we should look to for encouragement and guidance, he is not the only guy. And he would never claim to be. A plurality of elders allows for accountability and care to be equally and intentionally given to all members of the body at all levels. So should you ever be called away from this body? Should you ever be called to a different church in a different city? 
in a different state, we would encourage you to find a church that believes and practices a plurality of leadership in some form, very least. There's also the reality that I want to mention before we get into verse 5, that the conversation of biblical submission is particularly difficult for some to hear. Whether it's in the context of marriage or the church, whether it was emotional abuse or physical abuse, those who were supposed to be called trusted betrayed their call to the Lord and as a consequence hurt you or hurt someone whom you love. And as a consequence, Peter in this address to submit, might lead you with anxiety. To you, I would say this. Your encouragement is the same encouragement that the elders have from Peter, that Jesus is coming back, that he will right every wrong, he will heal every single wound and scar, and he will restore that which is broken. Trust can be created again. Trust can be created again, and I would encourage you, if you find yourself there where you have secluded yourself or, or shut yourself off from biblical leadership because of a past hurt, come and talk to somebody. That sounds backwards, right? If you were hurt by an elder, go talk to an elder, but hear me out. Go talk to a trusted brother or sister in the faith, to an elder or an elder's wife, respectfully, and allow the relationship, that friendship to grow and for trust to be built and allow for the Holy Spirit of God, godly friendship and time to heal what needs to be healed. Don't run. Don't run from this sermon and don't run from church. That's not in the Bible. And that's not the answer this morning. Back on track. Look, look at verse five for me one more time. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter shifts here. Moving from addressing the elders to the congregation as a whole. Now let's just talk about the first words here. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Let's point out a couple context clues, right? Because some of the older folks in here are like, yes, I don't need to listen to anything they say. That's not true, okay? And there's a couple things we need to see here. The first one is the very first word used here is likewise. Remember what I said about so and therefore at the beginning of our text? Likewise. So Peter is still continuing with this thought process of, of eldership. So elders, the word here is not being used about an age, older men. It's not true. It's meaning elders, the, the position of leadership in the church. The second clue is that we must look for is the question that arises and, and why Peter just addresses those who are younger. But I contend, as commentators contend, that the call to a healthy and biblical submission to the elders of a church is not omitted because of your age. It is not omitted by your perceived spiritual maturity Okay, that wouldn't stand to reason with what we have read so far. This doesn't stand to reason with what scripture as a whole teaches about 
biblical leadership. Sorry for those of you who are older. This would mean that if a group of elders come forward here at Mosaic Church to, to warn us, the congregation, of a, of a heresy or a false teacher that has arisen amongst us, that only the younger ones have to listen to them and pay attention. That doesn't sound right, does it? No. Rather, what would make sense, all right, forgive me for those of us who are younger in here, that we are a little bit more quick to state our opinion. We are a little bit more prone to stir the pot than some of those who are older. We have a bad habit of thinking that we are always right, especially those of us who have studied the Bible, love the Bible, preach, believe, confess the Bible. We can be a little bit more prideful. So graciously, Peter reminds us who are younger to humbly, willingly submit to the elders' leadership because they care for our souls, to willingly follow them in their guidance and in their counsel, should that guidance not be against Scripture, of course. If anybody preaches against the Bible, stop listening to them, okay? Because there are among those who, who most likely will follow them Right, us as younger following the pastors after putting up some kind of fight. And this theory, right, this contention for what this verse means is supported by the following sentence in the same verse. To clothe ourselves, all of us, with humility towards one another. This has again turned to all. Humble yourselves. Humble ourselves, clothe ourselves with humility, not just the elders and not just those who are younger. To each other. Show humility to each other. How much more, if we are to be humble to each other, should we be humble to those whom we've entrusted with the care of our souls? The teaching and the preaching of the word. Now, when I say the care of our souls, I do not mean that salvation is through your pastor. What I mean is that God has appointed men to teach us the word of God, right? To rightly discern sin in our lives and to say, brother, sister, you need to turn from this. It's dangerous. We entrust them with that position. So how much more should we submit to them and be humble to them, especially when following them hurts our pride? takes a Christian to do this. Those of us, Peter addresses us because we are prone to the sin of prideful stirring of the pot, to be unwilling to give to leadership, and so we should watch our souls in this matter. And those who are older, regardless of age, how long you've been in church or otherwise, Peter's call is the same. All of us clothe ourselves with humility. We can disagree on certain things, right? Church is messy, okay? You get 100 sinners in one room and expect all of them to agree on everything and the right way to do one thing, it's not going to happen. And that's okay. That is okay because the believer who has clothed themselves with humility will be the first to reconcile when there has been wrong committed. 
They will be the first to admit wrong. They will be the first to love well. It is the only sin that opposes us. Okay, all right, let me qualify that. It's the main sin. There's a lot of sin that can go into this, but it's the main sin that would stand against us from fulfilling this call. It's pride. And we can be a pride people, can't we? Pride is, is a value to be had here in America. But there is a way to not always agree, to sometimes get frustrated with one another. There's a way that does not lead to rifts in a church. There is a way that does not lead to the splitting of churches. There is a way that does not lead to people leaving a church because of a disagreement. If we live in the mind that we can do no wrong and that we are always right, especially regarding the Bible, especially regarding spiritual matters, and especially when that discussion is to other brothers and sisters in the faith, if we live there, if we are unwilling to put away our pride, our sin, and repent of it, Peter says that God opposes us. That's terrifying. There is a better way. And it's, it's easy to leave a church just to walk away from the matter. It's easy to slander and to get online. And it's easy to avoid the problem. It's easy to puff our chest up in pride. Because it's hard to die to ourselves. Because it is hard to die to ourselves. So let us bear our crosses one another. Together. Let us die to ourselves and humble ourselves. Biblical submission to elders and the clothing ourselves with humility is the difficult call to die to oneself. And it protects us spiritually and it protects the church corporately. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Romans chapter 12, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I leave you with these verses today, church. Biblical submission is and can be a difficult thing. It requires a dying to ourselves in our initial confession to Jesus, and it requires a dying to ourselves every day that we are following him. Just as resisting any other sin requires dying to ourselves. It can be difficult. And this is kind of a uh, what's the word, niche conversation, because it's not preached very often. But it is good that there are elders. The elders should strive to meet those qualifications. And we as a congregation should seek those in them. The gospel allows for this, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, to die on the cross, to live a life perfect holiness 
and to be resurrected after he was murdered and then ascend into heaven. And he is coming back for you and I. So let us strive to live in a way worthy of that gospel. If you have never confessed Christ as king, if you feel something stirring within you that feels like guilt for what you've lived and done in your life, there is hope. And if as a congregation, individually, you say, hey, I am a little prideful. It is a little difficult for me to submit to eldership because I don't want to. There is hope. God's mercy is new every single morning and his grace is sufficient for you. You are not going to be perfect. I am not going to be perfect and our elders are not going to be perfect, but God is. And he allows us to live here for his glory and for his mission together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, I thank you for sustaining me through this text. It is not an easy text. Submission is not an easy topic. And it is not easy to do. It is not easy to lead and it is not easy to follow. God, we need you. We need your mercy and we need your grace to fulfill these things, Lord. I pray now that this sermon was glorifying and edifying to your body. It was glorifying to you, Father, that you will use it for the advancement of your kingdom. That we would repent where we need to repent. That we would rejoice in where we need to rejoice. That we would love greater, know you deeper, and praise you with a louder voice and with a heart set on you. Father, we are almost home. Remind us of this. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.